Welcome to After All, the cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCann. And welcome to episode 23, the second last episode of the season, Smokey the Bear Wants You. So that is the, uh, well, here's the synopsis. Rhoda's generous new boyfriend has no apparent source of income, and Mary grows suspicious. So, yeah, (laughs) that happens. Um, It's an interesting episode wherein, I guess, actually, for for the first time, I guess, we're given the opportunity to see Rhoda alone. So it's not really through Mary's vantage point like it's it's not about her being present in the room or or how things unfold in relation to mary it's specifically how things on this is a rhoda episode it is it's a rhoda episode and and even she puts it up front did you see what just happened he Mm. chose me over you in a room where the two of us are together yeah and here are two single women and they chose and and the dude chose you know Chose her. Chose Rhoda. Chose Rhoda, which she can hardly believe because mm-hmm. he looks good. He seems nice. He's seems like a catch. And Rhoda doesn't really fancy herself. Rhoda and Mary love each other, but Rhoda does not think she holds a candle to Mary and can't fathom like she's she's not as skinny as Mary. She's, she's not, not as, as perky. She's not as pretty. To some people, I think she's a lot prettier than I think prettier she's very beautiful. Mary. Yeah, I think she's lovely. She certainly has this this um, self-deprecating mm-hmm. shtick that she carries around with her, mm-hmm. particularly as playing second fiddle, second fiddle to Mary. <laughs> yeah, completely. And here we're, uh, you know, seeing her one be incredulous at being picked, and two, actually getting to experience a relationship, yeah. which is really nice. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, this is an interesting episode for a few different reasons. Well, while they're trying to figure out what this guy does, you know, well, it's kind of funny that they, they have all these throwaway jokes to the Godfather, which, which is kind, kind of, of interesting. Uh, well, yeah, uh, to, like to organize crime in general, to mafia, yeah. which is the first thing you think of if someone doesn't seem to have a day job and talks about Meetings. Taking meetings at night, and Mm -hmm. uh, then he... And he he says he wants him to meet his uncle. Well, not really his uncle. He's an old family friend. He's actually his godfather. And then she makes a passing comment. Whose name is Frank. And then she makes a passing joke about the godfather, but not necessarily... Because the movie hadn't come out yet, obviously. This was 1971. The movie for the godfather came out in 1972. However, the book by Mario Puzo had come out in 1969. I don't remember when I read it, but I know I read it. You did? I read it before the movie came out. Is it good? Yeah. As a, you know, 
I, the movie became so iconic and so classic. Yeah. I can't honestly tell you what I thought of the book at the time. Mm. Did you but, read it after you saw the movie? No, I read it before. Like leading up to the movie or like before the movie was even a thing? I think before the movie was a thing. Oh, okay. The same way as The Exorcist. Right. Before the movie was a, was a thing. And you loved the book, which is why you wanted to go and see the movie and you regretted and I was that decision traumatized, I was traumatized for life. <laughs> but not with The Godfather. The Godfather, I think I was not traumatized. I was, I really enjoyed it and yeah. continue to. But regardless. 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 Irregardless. Off to, irregardless. We <laughs> are um, continuing on this vein of, is this guy, you know, mafia related or is he a spy or mm. what's up with him? Why doesn't he have a job? Exactly. And it turns out. But he spends money. But he spends money. And it turns out that he was the president of... He was the vice president of the snowblower... Snowblowing lawnmower making company that makes snowblowers and lawnmowers. I don't remember what the name of the company was. I can't... No, me neither. And I wasn't sure. Is this like the convertible thing that goes from being a snowblower to a lawnmower? No, I think they just manufacture both. Does that really exist? No. No, I think they just make both. How convenient to have one handy device to do both things. So he was the vice, the vice president, president and made $30,000 the previous year, which adjusted for inflation comes up to, in 2018 money, comes up to just shy of $200,000 a year. So 30000 exactly. at the time was a lot a of money. A lot of money. And she's, Rhoda can't fathom why you would give that up, and he wants to go back to school to study a two-year degree. To become a forest ranger. And this is where he starts to lose Rhoda. Because mm. she can't fathom why you would want to give up on a job that makes you that much money, number one. And she's not a nature person at and all. It, it's interesting in retrospect now when he first comes to the, well, Mary's apartment that Rhoda's pretending is her apartment. Yes, there's that as well. There's that. Um but he admires the beautiful maple tree out mm-hmm. front, and she thought he was admiring the view, yeah, the skyline. The city. And he's like, no, I'm admiring the beautiful maple tree. And then she makes some joke about going out there and getting maple syrup for her pancakes every morning from yeah. that tree. And also then Mary um, was painting or refinishing an antique piece of furniture. Oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. And he said, why would you cover it with paint? This wood it's is old. hundreds and, of and, years trying yeah, to get to where it is. Just put a, put a nice coating on it and leave the wood to shine. So you can see the, the couple of little hints of he's a back-to-nature, you know, yes. tree-hugger kind of guy. Yeah, he's not going to put you in a hole in the desert. No. 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 He's, he's not that no. kind of human. He's not that kind of guy. So... Rhoda agrees to go with him on a camping trip. Mary comes with and... With a bunch of Svens. With a bunch of Svens. Now, what was it that you were telling me about... So, about... So, the groups of immigrants that have come over to America over the, you know, the last 150 years or 200 years even mm-hmm. have tended to settle in parts that are probably reminiscent of their homeland. And Minnesota and those sort of north, mid-northern states Mm -hmm. have a lot of Nordic people. They have Swedes. They have Norwegians. They have people like that. So Minnesota has a lot of Svens in real life. So Minnesota has had, there are, there's, there's a lot of Nordic immigrants there. Yes. And I think it, it probably has to do with similarity to 
uh, northern climates. No more than um, the Irish who have come to Canada, a lot of them have settled in Newfoundland because it mm. has a similar geography. The climate or is Nova way Scotia. worse. Or, or Nova Scotia. Yeah. So, so the culture continues. And, you know, one family comes over and they send... Uh, back that, uh, to to the home country that this is a great place to be and eventually it becomes a community. Right. So, now um, the, the yeah. reason why this matters in relation to the episode is because when they go hiking they're surrounded by I've never been in a group of eight people before where three of the men were named Sven. <laughs> and the women are tall and blonde and, 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 and they have rosy cheeks. Yes. And they're like, they're all six foot tall with long blonde hair and rosy cheeks. So yes. that's, which makes Rhoda a little uncomfortable in and of itself. Cause she's like my she's, height. She's and, a dark haired New York Jew. Yeah. Who's like five foot something. Yeah. So not tall, not blonde, not long and leggy, quite the opposite. And not, um, not suburban, not, not rural and country life. And, no, uh, she's not a simple country girl. She's not a simple country girl. No. So... All of this, I mean, it kind of comes to a head. And th- th- this is, I guess, what we both took an interest in in this episode is two concepts, really. What you're willing to do for a partner or a potential partner, because they've only just really started dating. And Rhoda's already even lying just about the fact that she and Mary live together because he liked her apartment. So yeah. she's fibbing about that, which Mary's like, that's dishonest. Like, you can't start a relationship that way um and also kind of bending over backwards to make an attempt to be someone who likes nature despite not liking nature right meanwhile you also have this discussion of uh the boyfriend what's his name i can't remember smoky the bear chuck chuck right his name was chuck i forgot about that she kept calling him chuck chuck pellegrini ah not to be confused with Chuck Pellegrino, that's his cousin. Sorry, <laughs> it's bad. Um, but so Chuck is having this kind of, he's 35 years old and he's decided that he wants to upend his life. He's not happy with what he's doing. He doesn't he wants, care about the 1% uh, he doesn't profit ca- margin of yeah. lawnmower snowblower company. I guess he says he doesn't care about figuring out how to make, how to turn a 4% growth into a 6% growth. Exactly. He just, he, he cares about nature. He cares yes. about the trees. He wants to, he wants to fill his life with the things that give him pleasure. You know, which brings us to this other thing. And, and, and they're talking about it in the newsroom. If you could do it all over again, or if you could be anything, what would you be? What would you do? So mom, <laughs> if you could be uh, anything. you were going to ask me that. If you could do what? it all over again. I'd be a Barbie princess. What do you think? <laughs> I don't um, buy that for a minute. You know what? It's interesting because over the years, I've, I mean, I think you know, and we may have even talked about it in previous episodes. Uh, professionally, I wanted to be an architect, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen for a variety of reasons. But um, I think over the years, I, I kind of felt like I'm leading a very conventional life, and I always wanted to lead an unconventional life mm-hmm. in whatever form that took. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, you know, female version of Indiana Jones kind of person, but doing humanitarian work, Uh, you know, like things like Médecins Sans Frontières or Mm -hmm. that kind of thing always appealed to me as as being kind of of no fixed address, being out there in the world, making a difference to 
disadvantaged communities, mm-hmm. um, which totally doesn't, it, it's the complete opposite to my really very conventional suburban life that I live now and that I kind of have for many years. But at the same time, I mean... I can be subversive in little ways. Well, yeah. And you've, you've traveled a lot. I in mean, conventional ways. True, true. But also look at the, you know, Thornhill lifelong learning that you've, they, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, and, and that's lovely. That's something that I'm a, a very small part of with a much larger group uh, that You're I'm doing in retirement. Pardon? You're a big part of it. You're I'm a founding part. part of it. It doesn't exist. Like you're all, you know, equal parts of the same whole. Fair enough. You started with a group of other women. The right. I, I, was, I was certainly not the brains behind the operation. Mm-hmm. I was brought into it, or I volunteered to come into it later uh, because I saw it as something that I would want to participate in. And, and it is great. It, it's, not, it's not my brainchild. It's just something that I've uh, been a contributing member of. And it is. Go like give, give the spiel. I'll give the spiel. So Thornhill Lifelong Learning is a um, a group that puts on uh, lectures on a variety of topics. Um, we do a series of lectures in the spring and in the fall at the Schwartz Reisman uh, Community Center in uh, Vaughan. It's at Bathurst and Rutherford in um, Vaughan, in Toronto, north of Toronto, for those who don't live here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you'll be able to come uh, uh, if you live outside of the area. It's, yeah. it's, it's really meant for a local community. And there are many of these. We are one of many, many um, groups that put on lectures. They're meant for, even though obviously people of any age uh, are welcome to come, because it's during the day, it's meant for people who um, are generally not working, which means retired persons. But obviously, if you're home during the day and you wish to come, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, politics, um, healthcare, sociology, the environment, all sorts of topics, um, and a variety of speakers uh, come and give lectures. And it's been hugely successful so far. We sell out in record time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's terrific. It's it's wonderful. And um, yeah, so there's that. And that's, that's, I mean, I, from what I can gather based on what you're saying, it's not, it's not the adventurous life you had wanted yeah. for yourself. But it isn't like you haven't accomplished anything. It's not no. like you don't have anything to show for No, and I, and I don't feel that way. I mean, as far as my career and everything, I've done a variety of different things. I've adapted to circumstances that presented themselves that were not in my control. And mm-hmm. I think I did a reasonable job of that. I've essentially had kind of three careers over mm-hmm. my uh, working life. I've learned a lot from all of them. I've enjoyed a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, because let's face it, careers aren't always enjoyable 24-7. No. Um, so it's not that I haven't accomplished anything. And in the meantime, I've raised two children. Hi. Got, hi, I'm she's one of one them. Of them. Uh, <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job of them. I've okay. uh, uh, continued studying, continued going to school, gotten married, divorced, remarried, um, gotten sick, gotten better, uh, you know, a few things. 
Yeah. Yeah. Throw some travel in there. Yeah. Um, so and I and I like learning. I like the idea of always trying new things. So in that respect, I think I've had a pretty good life and mm -hmm. I want to continue learning new things. I need to learn to play the piano. I need to take Italian lessons, <laughs> you know. So you wouldn't think of doing, of pulling a chuck and like dropping at everything at this of, point? And... At this point, no. I did consider um, years ago, many years ago, I looked into going to medical school. I didn't know this. Yes. Uh, this was, let me back up here because it's an interesting story. So I was working in a lab. Yeah. I was still married to your father. Okay. So this was many, many years ago. ago. And I was, I, I wanted more. I didn't, I, I felt like I was underemployed mm -hmm. and I, and I thought this would be something that I could do. The problem is that lab, lab, my lab diploma is not a degree. It's a diploma, even though it's, uh, you know, fairly complex. And I would have needed to go back, do an undergrad degree in order to apply to medical school, then spend X number of years doing medical school and then possibly specializing. And I think at that time, I, how old was I? Maybe like somewhere between 35 and 40. Mm -hmm. So not unlike Chuck. And I thought, I don't think I can do this at this time with young children asking my soon-to-be ex-husband to support me financially mm -hmm. during that whole time. I felt it was too much to ask. That's fair. So, but I did inquire about it. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, so... If I, in, I guess, reversing so, the question. So reverse the question. I always wanted to, well, I mean, and this you know, I wanted to be an actor. Mm -hmm. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of acting in high school. And even before then, I went to like theater camps and things like that. And I loved performing and doing things like that. And I guess it just, it seemed like an unattainable, unrealistic goal. So I just didn't bother. Which I think I kind of regret to an extent. I mean, I do, not too much. I'm happy with the way my life is. If I had to do it over again, I might have tried to push harder for something like that. Maybe. Or maybe not that. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, it's funny because the more I think about it, the more I realize that I kind of am doing what I want. I think if I had to go back and do it over again, I would probably just try and infuse my myself with a bit more confidence. Okay. And inject my life with a bit more gumption so hmm. that I... It's not too late for that. No, and I think that's the thing that I'm realizing. Yeah. Is it's, it's in your control to do that. It's now or never, you know? You're, you're still only, young. Well, yeah, you're, you're only you're you're only this young once. Every day you're getting a little bit older and mm -hmm. opportunities grow farther and farther and change is harder and harder and the longer you let things go, the harder things are to acquire the more or regrets obtain. you're going to collect along the way. Yeah. And I'm tired of regretting the things I didn't do. Absolutely. And there aren't too many of those, admittedly. I've, I've, 
I mean, you know me. I've I've always if it if I wanted it, if it was something that I wanted to have or to do or to accomplish, you would do I've, it. I've gone out and I've done it and I've accomplished yeah. it or I've gotten it. Yeah. Sometimes to my own detriment, sometimes to my own growth. Mm-hmm. Whether that was financial detriment or anything else, I'm not good with money, but the, I'd say who is, but the answer to that question is a lot of people. A lot of people so are. That's not, so, no, I don't have a no. leg to stand on there. No. But I, you know, I second guess myself left, right, and center, and I cut you, myself off at the knees when it comes to... You kind of overthink things in terms of am I good enough to do this, that, yeah. and the other. Well... I think I think in the back of my head I have this mentality of, but why? Like who cares? As a writer, the you have to be. You're not you writing for to, an audience. You're writing for yourself. But that's the thing. I don't want to write for myself. Why I want to be able, because I want to make money. That's an <laughs> you know? That's a. But it's not an offshoot. Well, if I could... want to be a professional writer, which yeah. I am, I'm published. Yes. This microphone is sitting on a stack of, of books, books in which I am published and for which I get royalties. This is true. I am a published author. Like, that is a fact. That is a big deal. You know, fact. I've been published in websites on three continents in at least four different countries. I've done a lot. I've been an editor for one of those. I've, you know, and I, granted, I haven't made money doing a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So you but, would like to write and make money? Yeah. Okay. That's always the goal. Yeah, it's true. But you can, you, can, you can split yourself in two. You can clone yourself and do the writing that you love for no money and do schlock writing. But that's but, just it. I don't necessarily know that the, that the writing that I love, the writing that I want to do, would make me no money. I don't necessarily know that it would sustain me. But no. I don't, like, I, I, I have ideas for books, and I want to write a memoir. I think I have lived, in my short 30 years, mm. a very interesting, complex, and rich life. I have had a lot of experiences and a lot of heartbreak and growth and challenge for someone who otherwise, to look at, you just think I was pretty privileged, and I have been. And you, and you are, but, yes, but I agree with you. You have had I think enough... Trauma I, in your life, yeah, and 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 adventure and done things. You mm-hmm. know, I've traveled a great deal. I've been on four of seven continents. I've been to over. I don't even know how many. I've lost. I, I something like thirteen countries or so. I've been to. I don't even know how many cities. I've, I've I've traveled and I've seen things and I've lost things and I've felt things and I've done things and. Um, so you're suggesting that writing, what you love to write, may make you money. I'm suggesting that I should Which try. I could. I, absolutely, you should try. I think I'm suggesting that I have to stop being afraid of who cares. Because the, the, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking the people who write memoirs are like, you know, Lena Dunham and Tina Fey and, and you know, George Clooney and or, or you know, famous explorers or doctors or... It doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're, but that's exactly it. In the back of my mind, the part of my brain that goes... So you're talking yourself out of it. Oh, I always talk Because you're not famous enough or you're not good enough well, yeah. or you're not important enough. I haven't, I haven't accomplished enough for anybody to look at me and go, oh, wow, here's the latest memoir by Ariel Fisher. But, yes! But it doesn't really matter because you have an interesting life. And reading about someone's interesting life is worth reading. Hmm? That's what I have to. That's what I have and to keep telling. It's as myself. simple as that. You don't have to be famous to be interesting. Well, and that's exactly it. You know, I, I ask myself. You know, does anybody actually write memoirs if they're not already famous? And in which case, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? Well, maybe memoir is the wrong <clears throat> term because it implies 
I have achieved uh, the pinnacle of success and fame, therefore my life story is worthy of being written. It can be a story that is your life story for the purposes of well, I illuminating, mean, entertaining, enriching the lives of whoever reads it. Well, I mean, there are memoirs like Roxane Gay. Yeah. She wrote her memoir. Yeah. So she, in 2011, she wrote a collection of short stories called Aiti. Um, she's written a novel. She also wrote Bad Feminist, which was in 2014, Difficult Women in 2017. And that's a short story collection, and her memoir is called Hunger, which was released this year. So she has been published previously in different things. But I guess that's kind of, you know, the question. If you're, you know, what if she hadn't published those collections of stories before? Would anybody care about Hunger? And the answer is, yeah, probably. Because it's, you know, it's about a very specific outlook as a woman it's about a very specific life experience as a woman there's you know people will gravitate towards that and learn from it and grow from it and I guess I don't know I guess I get anxious that no like if I don't accomplish a bunch of meaningless postmarks that I don't really care to accomplish I can't write the one thing that I really want to write and I don't necessarily know that that's true. What are your meaningless postmarks? I don't know. More movie reviews. Why? Why what? Why is that? Like, is that something that you're putting in front of yourself to say, I must do this before I can do that? Kind of. It almost looks like I have to... I, you have to pay your dues? Maybe. According to whose uh, schedule? Know. I don't know. You're setting, you're setting roadblocks for yourself. Yeah, I do that a lot. I'm really good at it. Well, stop. Okay. Okay. Done. Orders from your mother. <laughs> stop putting roadblocks in front of yourself and just live your goddamn life. Just go and do it. What's the worst that can happen? Nobody cares. That's it. And then you move on and do something else. Yeah. I don't know what I could do. I think that's the other thing is that, you know, when we're thinking about this, if you could, if you could, if you be could do anything, something else, what could you do? I don't know that I'd want to do anything else. Right. And I think about, I... I might have talked about this before on the show. I'm not sure. But when I was in university, before I started writing at the McMaster Silhouette, the Andy Arts Magazine for the McMaster Silhouette, I went to see a guidance counselor. His name was Rowena Muhikde, who I spoke to before I even started at McMaster. She helped me transition over from time off after leaving Ryerson and then I spoke to her again while I was there. She was amazing. She's still there, and she's still amazing. She's incredible. And she's had a pretty nomadic life and had gone and, you know, lived in Japan and taught English there and worked at other universities in guidance counselor positions, but she's, she's traveled a lot and lived abroad and never lived a very conventional life. And, you know, in the back of my mind while I was talking to her, I'm thinking, and I'm saying to her even, I'm just like, well, what if I miss out on, you know, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? Hmm. Am I supposed to have that conventional life or am I supposed to do other things? Like, I'm afraid of trying to go out to volunteer for the school newspaper because what if they say no? Or what if I'm no good? Or what if it's too hard? 
and all of these things. And she's saying, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, I wish that I had led a little bit more of a conventional life. I look at my friends who have a house and a mortgage and kids and a stable job and all of that. And I think, how nice. And they look at me and anytime we get together, say, you're so lucky you have this, you know, renegade vagabond lifestyle and you've never painted within the lines and you've always done what you wanted to do. So we always wish we had done something that we hadn't done. Because we don't know through the experience of having done it that it was right or wrong for us. So it remains this kind of enigma. And that always kind of stuck with me. So I think from that point, I always, you know, I guess more than I had previously, tried to do what I wanted to do. To be a little more adventurous and take a few more risks. Yeah, and to be a bit more present in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would want to do anything else. I think I would just wish for more courage, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Well, you know, as per Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, you've had it there all along, dear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the cowardly lion. You're the cowardly lion, so Ah. go forth. I'm uh, going to go back to college. All right. For two years. Okay. Because I want to get another degree. Terrific. So that I can become a uh, a forest ranger. (laughs) Rhoda? Eucalyptus. What do you say? Uh, You uh, you think I'm crazy for doing this, don't you? No, I don't think you're crazy. As long as forest rangers make 30,000 a year. No, it's more like 9,000. You're crazy. Rhoda, look, I don't want to spend the rest of my life worrying about how to turn a 4% profit into a 6% profit. I can understand how you feel, Chuck. I really can. You can? What I can't understand is why you feel you have to do something about it. Well, why don't you try it before you put it down? How can you try a thing like that? Well, look, I'm going on a camping trip this weekend. Come with me. Oh, gee, Chuck, I, I Oh, come on. It's just one weekend in the woods. Uh, listen, I, I can, uh, I can come back later. Oh, no, no, Mary, look, uh, as a matter of fact, why don't you come with us, too? A bunch of us are going on a camping trip this weekend. Hey, gee, that sounds like fun. I haven't gone camping in years. <laughs> you mean you did that one time? Oh, sure. Well, I'd better go now. Look, uh, Rhoda, I'll call you tomorrow about the hike, huh? Y- yeah, about the hike, cool. Good night, Mary. Good night. Come, you'll enjoy it. Okay. Good night, Chuck. Goodbye, Chuck. I should have known. Rhoda Pellegrini. It just doesn't sound right. Okay. What'd you find out? What does he do? What? He's a forest freak. That's what. Just because he asked you to go on a hike? No. Because he just gave up a vice presidency of a big company to go back to college to study to become... Get this? A forest ranger. A forest ranger? Uh, why? Mm. He has some stupid idea about being happy. <laughs> well, then in the episode, I, on, that other to, note, on, that, on that note, with Rhoda kind of compromising and sacrificing for this man that she's not really been with and kind of pretending to be something that she isn't, did you ever do that in any relationships? I think I tried to accommodate in small ways mm. that sometimes blur the lines of who you are. Yeah. And you get to a point where 
you either resent doing that or it becomes so familiar you don't even realize you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other and sometimes it's both. And sometimes you're aware that you're doing it and you say, it's important for my partner that I do this and it's not important enough for me to not do it. Yeah. So it's okay to do it. Mm-hmm. it. It it doesn't have to be an all or nothing because compromise and accommodation are, are part of being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have to sell your soul in order to be in a relationship... Uh, as per Rhoda wanting to be a forest girl in order to uh, please Chuck, that's going too far because Mm -hmm. that's completely uh, disingenuous. It's it's not who she is. No. And she comes clean very quickly Mm -hmm. after this um, camping trip or this overnight hike that they did and she comes back and hates every minute of it and is quite vocal about it very and even just when they get back she's disheveled her hair's all over the place she's got stains all over her clothes and somehow mary seems fine immaculate yeah like she looks like she's been roughing it and she's dirty but she's perfectly happy with it yeah because she because she went to camp as we learned in the previous episode she's a hearty little girl yeah yeah and she was a bit of a nature chick and she could do that stuff and she enjoyed camping yeah. But her hair's still perfectly in place, well, and her clothes... It is Hollywood. It is Hollywood, but Rhoda's isn't. No. Right? So we have the the juxtaposition in this image that for Rhoda, this is so antithetical to who she to is who she as is. a native New Yorker. Yeah. And yeah. as a... She is a, a born She's and bred a city, city girl. girl. And she does not like this, and... I think the and and Chuck to you know to his credit mm-hmm. recognizes this yeah. and doesn't try and push her no. anymore into like you know you're just not trying hard enough or anything yeah. like that like he's he's completely upfront I really admire how he said yeah. to her I see that you really didn't like it you kept telling me all the way along and this is this is my world and this is what I need to do and I think there isn't a future for us together yeah so it's heartbreaking but it's true and it's not even it doesn't even seem that heartbreaking like he's he's a really nice guy and it's clear that they have chemistry mm-hmm. what's what's sadder for me is how hard Rhoda's pushing herself to to be, to be what he what? To be what he needs, right? So that she can be in a relationship, yeah. That she doesn't recognize her own value as an as a city girl, right. as Rhoda Morgenstern, enough to recognize that if this man needs a, a, a you know a country girl, if this man needs a woman who will build the shack and bear the kids along the way. She's not it. Then she's not it. She's not it. But, and that's fine. I think that kind of comes down to this idea of doing what we want in our lives and being who we want to be in our lives. It's hard, it's hard to get around that. And I think particularly if you, if you're really attracted to a particular person who you can see being with Mm -hmm. and yet some of his or her interests are really not yours Mm -hmm. and you you and women are much more accommodating of this than men ever are you know the women and I've seen this with other women where you know the husband is into riding motorcycles so the wife gets into riding motorcycles is this something that she would have done in another life probably not 
if you were to say to her, you're just doing this to please him, do you actually like it? They'd probably argue that they, that they do, that they yeah. love it and that it's fabulous because stating that they're just doing it for their husbands is an admission of erasing their own identity. Yeah. And at the same time, I do think that there is something to be said for being in a relationship that challenges your interests. Not necessarily at this at the point of self-sacrifice, but maybe at the point of discovery and self-expansion and growth. I agree. And, and, and I think there's, there's a happy medium mm-hmm. where you are still your own person, your partner has interests that you've never considered, mm-hmm. and you need to be open to, cons- to, to yeah. consider those things. There's also like... It may you, change your life or not. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, if he was super into motorcycles and she gets super into motorcycles. If I had the money, I would totally love to get into motorcycles. I would love to, like, get a motorcycle and ride around the country, especially after reading something like, you know, uh, Tao and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance and everything that he says about the difference between traveling in a car versus traveling on a motorcycle and how Mm. it's a different mode and method and and just the, I guess, the The romance of it all. Yes. You know, I, but I fear that I wouldn't necessarily have the confidence to... I definitely don't have the money to, but I don't necessarily have the confidence to go that far afield from what's familiar. Your comfort zone. Without. A male partner to help you along. Sometimes. Yes, I get that. And that bugs the shit out of me because it's so antithetical to how I am and who I am and what I believe. Because it's easy to do those things in your head. Yeah. But the practical considerations around something like that and mm-hmm. you know were you obviously just using that as an example yeah just one example is it's kind of scary shit doing anything that's doing anything way outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. doing it alone and especially to, if it involves cro- you know cross-country travel on a dangerous means of transportation <laughs> i'd be like are you are you kidding me? You you <laughs> want to go on a motorcycle and you expect me to sleep nights? You must be crazy. That's not going to happen. <laughs> no, but I and it But I, I get it. I yeah. totally get it. It's like me going to, you know, war-torn Afghanistan to save children and it's like, la, I say that in my head. Do I really would I be comfortable doing that? Probably not. I'd be comfortable doing that with probably a male partner. Yeah. Well, I mean to be fair, I've traveled a lot on my own. I've been to many different countries. I've been to a lot of Southeast Asia by myself. Yes. But you were in a group, too. But I was in a group, too. But I was also, for a lot of the time that I spent on my month in Thailand, I was by myself completely. That's true. And I felt safe. Yeah. Uh, there are certain places in the world that I... W- one, that go. I will not go. No, of course and not. And two, that I would not go without a man by my side. But that's yeah. also by Matt. Like, for instance, if I ever do... I would probably never go to India without a man. No, and that's fair. Yeah. And, but, so, I guess with, with, I guess more in the vein of, you know, learning how to ride a motorcycle and taking that and going off around the, you know, North America by myself or something like that. I think to an extent, we as women are socialized Still to this day, maybe less, it's probably less for younger generations. We'll see how this generation turns out. Yeah. But we are socialized to feel as if 
we're capable of anything. We can become anything we want to become. Barbie had hundreds of jobs, so can we. However, within reason. That there are certain things that are just beyond the ken of a woman. And that we will need help at some point. That's my feeling. And I, and I, I think you're probably right. As much as I hate to admit it. Yeah. And I think it's Oh, I don't like own... to admit... I don't like to say that. I think part of it is our own fears. Mm-hmm. And some of those fears are real. They're real fears of being alone in 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 the woods with a motorcycle well, and uh, yeah. being in trouble. Well, I mean, even if you look at just the way we socialize little boys and little girls as little boys and little girls, mm. we have, you know, boys get Indiana Jones and girls, girls get, get and girls get Barbies. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up with Indiana Jones and I grew up with Princess Leia and I grew up with all of those things, but even Princess Leia needed to be saved. It wasn't until she became General Morgana that it was like, okay, no, she, you don't, it ain't princess to you anymore. (laughs) But it, you know, you get kind of, we're not given the tools at a young age to think that we contain all the power and wonder that we will ever need. And that's not necessarily a shortcoming of our parents. I don't consider that a shortcoming of your doing raising me or anything. I think it was also at the, you know, in the 80s. And in the 90s, little boys and little girls were still being conditioned and socialized in very specific ways. And I think to some degree they still are. Oh, completely. I don't know how much that's going to change. And I think, and I'm sure you've had this conversation and I know I have, that at the end of the day, a woman alone doing things that can be considered physically dangerous to you is something that we shy, we're scared of, mm-hmm. and a man never needs to be scared of that. No, that is the biggest dividing line in doing anything. Mm-hmm. We have fears for our personal safety, yeah. and men do not to the same degree, by virtue of your gender. Yeah, and that's it. And especially if you're going to countries that don't value women as much as Western countries do. Some Western countries. Some Western countries. Some parts of some Western countries. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Some, <laughs> and some parts of some Western countries. But yes, I think you you get my drift in the, in the mm-hmm. sense that at the end of the day, we can dream all these things, but there are certain limitations by virtue of being women that really piss me off. Yeah. It's like, can I just pretend to be a man so that I can go on a motorcycle around the world? Uh-huh. And not like, thank God we don't need a license to wear pants anymore. Yeah, exactly. Because once upon a time, if you were a woman, you were wearing pants, you didn't have your little piece of paper that said you were allowed to wear pants. Yeah. You went to jail. That's that's how life used to be, guys. But that was, wow, for a relatively relatively simple episode, that one kind of brought out a lot of vulnerability. I kind of like that. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it's very good. That's fun. Yeah. And it's the uh, second last episode. That yes, was episode 23. So that was Smokey the Bear Wants You. Next week, episode 24. Next week is the last episode, guys. Season one is just about over, which means we will be going on a bit of a hiatus. So we, you will see us back in September. But for next week, the final episode of season one of the Mary Tyler Moore Show and the final episode of season one of after all a mary tyler moore podcast 
the 45-year-old man. To get Mr. Grant back his job, Mary pays a visit to the outrageous station owner, Wild Jack Monroe. So, so Mr. So Lou loses his job, and then Mary has to get it back. So that's we're going to be dealing with a fair amount there. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, feel free to let us know how you're liking the show, how you've liked season one. If there's anything you'd like to see from us during the hiatus, if you'd like us to see about getting some interviews lined up or get some other guests on the show to talk about certain episodes, anything like that, shoot us an email. You can reach us at afterallpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always reach us at, reach out to us and follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at afterallpodcast. And of course, we are on every major social, uh, every major podcasting network. But most importantly, we are on iTunes. So be sure to head on over to iTunes, whether you're in Canada, the States, Australia, New Zealand, wherever you are. Go over to iTunes. Timbuktu. Timbuktu. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Every little bit makes us a bit more visible so that other people can find the show. So please head on over, subscribe to the show, rate it, review it, share it with your friends and family. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.